So, so the story that everyone is telling, it, first off, is sales bad, marketing good, right? Right. I, and this is this this is one of those things where it's, it, it, looking at the trend of this can be ultra dangerous. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Black Line Podcast, Mike. It is the end of May. It's low 70s, which is unheard of. And to make matters worse, there's no baseball. I know. Uh, the, the, the withdrawal is actually real. So what's your take? No fan baseball, all games played in Florida and Arizona. What's your take on that? Get back to playing baseball as long as it's on TV. Let's go. D8, we're going to find out your real baseball credentials right now. DH in both leagues, what's your take? Well, compressed season, um, multiple games, trying to save the pitchers. Okay, you said random statements. You still haven't given a take. Well, I mean, they're going to have – I mean, if, if they're going to have to change up the leagues, then, um, you know, to, to, to make it fair, then I'm okay with it. Well, but it's not – I mean, it's not fair then. Right, because if you're a National League team, you're not built for a DH. Well, that's true. Yeah, that 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 absolutely is true. Yep. So, and you so, you haven't recruit and you haven't recruited uh So you're 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 shortening the season. Yep. You're you're changing the mix of games. And you're changing the rules. Is that baseball? No. Well, it's still baseball, but it's uh, – but you're right. I, I had actually – that that's actually a fantastic observation. I, I have not thought about that. Like, you, you, now, you, you did not build your team around having a DH. Now, the, the – um, you know, given that we're both fans of the Nationals, <clears throat> the interesting thing is the Nationals are probably the – probably the Dodgers are up there too, but are probably the best team situated to, to be in an environment where DH is needed. Right. If you think about the age of their roster and various things like that, but I don't, I don't, and the depth, right. I don't understand how, how a DH saves pitchers. I guess maybe it saves the bullpen in some fashion because you're starting pitchers. But see, I, I, it's funny because I grew up an American League fan. And, and so I grew up with the DH. And then I became, you know, when the Nationals started playing and I got to see that, I started seeing them all the time. The, the DH just takes so much of the game of baseball away. It's, I mean, it, it's just a different – it's actually a more boring game. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But he, he, so here, here, I think from saving the pitchers, and we'll, we'll, this, this is the whole podcast, maybe we'll just do it about baseball. Um, saving the pitchers, look, it could potentially be the, 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 the mental strain on some of the pitchers that – you know, but then again, you look at somebody like Scherzer, and he loves—I mean, he loves getting up there and hitting. What mental strain is there to get up and strike out? Well, 
I mean, look at Scherzer broke his nose last year. You know, there's there's all those things that yeah, what could he, potentially happen. They get hit what, by a ball, and and by the way, what happened the day after he broke his nose? He but shoved. he's a different. He's a different. He yeah, but he's a he he's a yeah, he's a different breed. Though, you know, but, you know, pe- people always say to me that don't like baseball, I don't like baseball, it's too slow, things don't happen fast enough, it's a whole bunch of people standing around. And I said, you know, the funny thing is, for me, it's a really, really fast game because you're thinking about a hundred different things. Yeah, there's a thousand different scenarios. Like the third but, base coach, he's thinking not, about if it gets hit into left field, how fast can but, that guy throw, how accurate but, is he? But know? hold on, hold on. But that's not true in the American League game. Right, it's not it's not true in the American League game because because you're 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 if if you operate on the basis that your weakest hitter bats last in in the National League he bats eighth in the American League he bats ninth, but what what people miss also is not just who do you have in the eight hole, it's who's batting next. So if you're the nine hitter, if you take an eight hitter in the American League, the person who is eighth, and you put them on American League team and they bat ninth, their average goes up twenty to thirty points. Hmm. because you got the leadoff hitter behind him. Yeah. So, so if, you know, if there's two outs and, and you're the eight hitter and there's a runner on second base, you're not seeing anything. If you're in the American league and there's two outs runner on second base and you're the nine hitter, you're getting fastballs. Right. So, it, so it is a different game. You have to, you know, you, you think about it, you're watching that game. You know how we got, we get frustrated. You know, you, we get through the four and the five and we're like, Oh my God, somebody has got to do something. Because you realize that all of a sudden you get to pitch complete. It is a, you know, everyone says it's the double shift. They, they try to make fun of it with that. It is a completely different game when you have that, when you have that situation. Plus, like in the American League, your pitcher, he comes out hot. He's doing great. It's a one nothing game. Well, guess what? That starting pitcher is going the whole way. There's nothing to think about. In the National League, your pitcher's shoving. You're... <clears throat> you're okay well do we i mean think about it in, in you know how how much conversation in the in the world series when the pitcher bats or in the national league playoff series you know why why do pitchers come out so much earlier in the american league i'm sorry in the national league during the playoffs than in the american league well if you've got a runner on second base in the fifth inning that might be your chance we so, gotta yeah, get somebody up who right. can hit the ball right? yep. it, it yep. has a totally it is a totally different game a DH says, okay, let's send out our best hitters. Let's send out our best pitcher. And then let's just let them play. Well, I think let's you just, just uh, explained why I may say the pitcher. <laughs> so there's. No, but I, 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 let me tell you what, if, if, if that has a mental toll on the pitcher, then guess what? They shouldn't, you know, go get a drop driving a truck. Yeah. So anyways, that, like, like last year or, or, or two years ago when people said that, you know, you can't visit the pitcher on the mound. Well, how are they going to adjust? It used to like the second baseman would come out to calm down the pitcher. Right. You know what? You know what? If, if, if that guy on the mound getting paid X million dollars a year can't, can't get himself back in control and he needs the second baseman to come out and whisper sweet nothings in his ear to calm him down, then you know what? The second baseman shouldn't be allowed to come in and talk to him. Right. So. Mike, if it's Thursday, you know what it must be because we are, for those of you that don't know, we're recording this on Thursday. You know what happens on Thursday, don't you? Or at least for the last 17 weeks or 16 weeks or I don't know, 13, I don't know how many weeks for a lot of weeks. 
HubSpot releases their new HubSpot releases HubSpot releases their post-COVID data set. So what do you think about the, the HubSpot post-COVID data set? I think they've done a fantastic job of uh, building, building the system that allows you to look at the data. Um, how I can infer much from it uh, is a little bit of a different story. Okay, I'm not smart enough to follow what you're. So, what do you think of what do you think of the whole HubSpot benchmark pre-COVID, post-COVID benchmark data? I think I, I mean it, it, personally, I think it's interesting data. Yeah, I think it's amazing market. I mean, let, let oh, without a doubt. Let let let's tip our cat to just some um, amazing marketing, amazing positioning. Um, taking advantage of, of an asset that, that just sits there latent. You know, there, the, the question I have is why, why weren't you doing this before? Right. Um, it's, it's really fascinating data. Um, <clears throat> now, and, and, and by the, and what you also said too, it, it, it is laid out well. It is, um, you know, they, 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 they brought some interesting cohorts to it. But let, let, let's talk a little bit about it because you and I both um, are, are data geeks. I wouldn't say that we quite qualify as data scientists, but we uh, stay at Holiday and Expresses and, uh, and, and, and entertain ourselves that way. So l l let's talk about how, 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 would, how should you use that? I mean, so there's definitely value there. Would you agree with me? There's definitely value in what they're sharing. Ooh, he, we don't get an immediate yes. I like that. Tell me more. Um, I don't, I don't just don't know how action, like it's, what do I, when I look at it, what do I do with it? Okay. It's cool. Like I'm seeing deals go up some weeks, some deals go down, you know, deals go down some weeks, but like, I, I just, like, how, what how about, is that different? I, I mean, how is that different than well, any other well, benchmark right, data? So, right. Well, I, Again, to me, benchmark data is not is not overly useful to me. To me personally, really, uh, I'm not. I don't. I don't mean really like like how can you say that that's not smart? It's interesting. I wouldn't have expected you to say that. So, mm -hmm. why do you find benchmark data? It, not it depends on like okay. So I guess I shouldn't say benchmark data is not useful, but what am I like, give me some examples of what I should be looking at this data. What, what am I trying to, what, what am I trying to get out of it? Do I have a sure benchmark data around like, how do I compare uh, my email program versus another B2B SaaS company? Am I like, how do I compare against the industry average so that I can make informed decisions on what I'm doing as far as, you know, how is Google recognizing me? How are they not recognizing me, uh, et cetera? So maybe I can use some of the data for that. But what is the end goal? Give me some, give me some examples of how you use this benchmark data. Well, let's talk about benchmark data first. Let, 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 because I didn't, I didn't know that that was going to come up, and I think it's worthwhile to talk about. Look, um, so, so I think 
I think good benchmark data is insanely valuable. Like I, I would, good benchmark data, I think is some of the most valuable data that's out there. Now I want to make sure that everyone understands that the- Yeah, but there's also, but, 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 getting, but getting really clean and good data is unbelievable. No, no, I know, I know. Which uh, no. so many people don't understand. And that's why you can't trust a significant amount of benchmark data that's out there. So, so what, what I want to do, well, or you, can, having, you, you I don't, I shouldn't say you can't I trust love it. it. You're you not can, letting you, me you make, can, a, make you, say a you, sentence. You, I love you, it. It's, it's hard to, it, 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 it's hard to, to, to make real decisions off of a lot of benchmark data that's out there. So you, you brought up a whole bunch, you, you brought up a rich set of points. Let, let, let's break a couple things out first. Because I think one of the problems that happens in how businesses try to operate and how people try to use things is we conflate a bunch of things together because it makes things feel simpler. And that's why good things go to bad, um, get, 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 get used badly. So, so the first thing I want to, I think you and I will agree with that, that if you're going to use data for whatever the reason is, to use it effectively, you have to have good, clean data. And if you don't have good, clean data, then whatever you're using it for, if you're lucky, it has no impact. And, and if it has positive impact, it was only positive because of luck or, you know. Luck. Right. <laughs> right. right. Yes. right. So, so, so good data is important in all situations and good data is really hard and people don't understand whether we're talking benchmark data, whatever we're talking about, good data is it's, really, uh, really it, hard. It is, uh, it's unbelievably hard. So, so, so that statement about, about benchmark is only good if, if it's good, clean data and good, clean data is really, really hard is, is true, but it's not true just for benchmark. Now, I would say that when you add the benchmark component to it, you do add levels of complexity, which does make it that much harder to have good, clean data to read from that. But, mm -hmm. but to look at benchmark data, you know, the, the idea of, of, of benchmarking, the reason that I like benchmarking is, I, I guess I kind of learned this from, from financial services. The, the financial services has this amazing metric. To me, it's like the most important performance metric um, in history. And, and it's a metric called alpha. And, and alpha is a measurement basically of how much of the performance of your investments were driven because of the decisions you made as opposed to the environment that you were in. And one of the main aspects for that is for the risk. So if you've got like how much return was because of what you did versus that you just took more risk. Because historically, the, the, the greater the risk of an investment, the, the higher the performance opportunity. So you increase the risk of a portfolio then you would expect to increase performance. But if all you measure is absolute performance, you're, you're confusing everything because past performance is no guarantee. Actually, it's really not even an indicator. It might even be a counter indicator of future performance. Although it's not always a counter indicator. So for the real data geeks out there, please don't get mad at me. I take that back. Uh, <laughs> But if you're a financial, like if you're in the financial world, no one talk, like, like if you're, if you have money managers talking, if they're talking to people that don't know anything, they talk absolute performance. If it's good. By the way, here's how you know, if performance was good that year, money managers talk absolute performance. And if performance is bad, if the market was down that year, they talk relative performance. 
Yeah. Not how did I, not how did I do, but how did I do compared to others? Um, or right, 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 right. And it, it, right. And it, look, some of this benchmark data is good for looking at trends and things like that. Well, that can, and that goes, that, that goes to the, to, to the next point, which is, I, I think, because the other piece that, that I want to unwind from your densely packed observation was, uh, by the way, that's a compliment. Um, oh, I know sometimes like I didn't call you dense. I was just saying that the <laughs> thoughts in there was densely populated. Right. Um, just there's a difference. Um, is, I, I, well, this is absolutely a mistake made with benchmark data. And I think it's a very common mistake made with data is I think data by and large, and certainly benchmark data is horrible at helping you make decisions or at making decisions. Like, like it's, it's not a decision vehicle. It, it, it should be a stimulus vehicle. Data is at its most value in the investigative stage, not in the conclusion stage. Yeah. Right. 100%. Right. And, and not to get too geeky, but if you follow any type of scientific or data science method, like the difference between data scientists and sales and marketers with data is a data scientist creates a hypothesis, looks at the data, creates a hypothesis, and then sets out to prove that the hypothesis is wrong. Most businesses, most sales and marketers, sellers and marketers that use data, look at the data, create a hypothesis, and then set out to prove that the hypothesis is right. Correct. And, and the fact that some people don't understand, listening, don't understand what the difference is, or if you're saying, well, what do you mean? What's wrong with proving that the hypothesis is right? That's why data can be so dangerous. Um, this is not the podcast we're going to break into that difference. Yeah, well, I mean, here to, to, to kind of uh, highlight your point is if I'm trying to prove the hypothesis is right, I can manipulate the data in ways that uh, that I probably shouldn't to make the data look right um, and to make my hypothesis look right. Well, you, you, you absolutely have that. But then you also, when you set out to prove that the hypothesis is right, you... you there's already often, bias. There, there's bias well, in the data. Well, there, there's the, you, you, you suffer confirmation bias. Um, right. but, but even outside of all of those errors, what you do is you reinforce the corollary the correlation effect, right? So what you observed might not be the cause at all, might, might have no causal effect, but for the period that you're looking at it, it happens to occur with what the underlying cause is. So you, you run the experiment to prove you're right a couple of times and you go, see, we know, but you never look to, you know, you, you never forced yourself to identify could something else be causing this, right? And so that's that, yep. that to the null hypothesis, et cetera. So, so where I think, what, what, what I think is good about benchmark data is the, the most valuable piece of it is, is being able to see trends, right? If, if you tell me everybody else is up 20% and I'm up 7%, is, what, what's going on here, right? They're, they're, you know, hey, this is great. We were, you know, we're up 7%, but, you know, that, that, that gets into the whole dunk if you don't confuse brains with bull market. Um, then that gets into where the danger of data is. So, so I do find it interesting. I find it valuable. It is it, the data that HubSpot is sharing is certainly stimulating. I think where you're going, and I certainly, I can't disagree with you. And I think I agree with you is there's a lot of people making a lot of conclusions about that. <laughs> yes. Um, 
And, and you got, so, so like, so for those of you that aren't familiar with it, you can see it at hubspot.com slash COVID data. We'll have it in the, in the show notes. Um, but they're, they're basically what they've done is they've taken their 70,000 users, 70,000 companies. See, so you got, so that's, that, you got one aspect there that's a little bit, I'm going to say off because they've got 70,000 plus companies. How many of those companies are, are working on just a free product? How many of those companies are using it fully versus how many of those companies are using it partially? Um, this is going to come up in, in, in a minute as well. I'm, I'm going to bet that um, in a lot of places, larger companies are probably less likely to use it fully. So, so their, their data is probably less complete. You got, you got all those things that kind of come in. But, but basically what they do is they break it down by looking at deal flow, sales email, sales calls, marketing emails, website traffic, contact growth, conversations, and ad spend. Now, the two categories that we'll get into that I think are the most valuable are marketing emails and website traffic. And, and the reason that I think that those are the most valuable is because they are, um, they don't require any behavior on the part of a user for it, for that data to be included. You send your mark, if you're using HubSpot marketing, you send your marketing emails from HubSpot, the clicks and everything are, are, they're there. There's no action. Website traffic, if the, if the JavaScript code is on the site, it's calculating the traffic. It's the cross the board. There's no partial. Deal pipeline, as an example, well, you can only count deal pipeline. The salesperson has to enter a deal. Um, some people enter deals early. Some people enter deals late. Some people, you know, there's all kinds of different places where they enter it. Um, so you start getting into compliance. The same thing is true with sales emails, sales calls, et cetera. Those require some aspect of, of human intervention. Yeah. Yep. Now, now in fairness, I find this much more interesting today than I did 11 weeks ago when they had two or three weeks of data, because some of those lack of integrity pieces, I would expect that the same lack of integrity, the same lack of compliance um, existed in week two that exists in week 13. There should be a fair, you know, it, we would have to take a really cynical, not just a skeptical approach to say that there's variance in the, um, in the adoption levels from a week to week basis. So, so to some degree from a trending standpoint, they, they do somewhat um, wipe out. Would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's just more, more timeline to go off of. Except. So, so you're, uh, so let, uh, let, let me start off and ask you is like, as you've looked at this, are, are there like, and, and if you, if you said I, I wouldn't use it, that, that's fine. You, you, you should say that. How would you use that? How would you recommend like how, what uses do you see for this data? Do you see uses for they, Well, you, I think you already said it. Um, the way that I would use this data is to look at my own business growth and see how I compare, but I, I'm also not going to beat myself up over it because there are so many different nuances that could be going into it. You know, if my website traffic is up, 7%, but the industry, you know, computer software industry is up 70%. Okay, well, are we doing something wrong here? Did we, did we, did we miss the boat on something here? Um, are there specific industries within the computer software or specific verticals within the computer software industry that are inflating these numbers? Um, 
that that's probably the way that I would look at it is, you know, overall trends and are, are we seeing, are we seeing trends that we're just like way off? And if so, maybe I go in and look at that data and say, okay, well, are we doing something? Can we do be doing something better? Can we be doing something worse? Um, I don't know. All right, so, so so we've gone full video. If those of you are listening to us on um, iTunes, Spotify, whatever the case may be, um, if you want to check out on uh, on the Blackline podcast page, you can see the video. We're actually sharing some screen right now. So th this is the deal flow um, pipeline, and and I find it interesting. So if you take a look at the total, um, I, I found a couple of things that that, that I think were um, fascinating. This is so, so first off, we should tell you how, how is this data calculated? What, what is this data telling us? So I actually um, tweeted at HubSpot to get some clarification. And, and this is how I understand it. So basically, if you look from, from the beginning of January here to um, March 16, that is the pre-COVID period. And so what they did is they looked at this period. And as I understand it from their explanation, they took the weekly average of this period. So basically the weekly average from January 1st to March 16th. And then in each week, starting from March 16th forward, is that week's performance compared to the average week pre this period of time. So, so that, by the way, explains why you see a little bit of down, a little bit of down. You know, this in essence has to come out to zero because everything up to here is the average. So one piece that this brings into bear is what's the seasonality impact? Seasonality, right. Seasonality right. is, that's gotten completely left out of it. Um, I would be really interested to know what is the week, week versus week of the previous year, realizing and being able to look at, you know, looking at it from a pre-COVID, post-COVID, because, yep. you know, it, in a, a lot of sales organizations have powerful fourth quarters, right? And, and I, think, I think fourth quarter is probably the quarter that, that closes the most business of any quarter. Um, someone might have some data without, that shows that I'm wrong, but... Without, without a doubt, 100%. Right. So what also follows from that is that January, February, they're not great closing months. They're really good opening months. Right. So, so there is some, you've got, you've got, you've got sales kickoffs. You've got, it, there's so many things that go into the, you've got planning for the year. Um, you, you, the, you have all those things. Plus you had a big fourth quarter. So you're going to follow that without, right. a, you know, right. You closed everything. You, you, right. right. Yeah. Well, not only that, but you got to, Hey, you, you closed everything and now we got to maybe shift a little bit of focus, making sure all those new customers are happy right. and, well, but, operational well, don't logistics hold on, and hold on don't don't forget the buyer side the buyers bought they closed like the buyers closed everything too so oh, no, no, now, the, right, the, right. Bu the buyers closed everything also in the first part of the year at least from my experience it would be interesting to look at some other industries of employee counts like typically what i have seen in my past is that january february is when you see a tremendous amount of turnover people leaving going to mm -hmm. An extra, there's a ton of recruiting yep. and switching going on at the beginning, yep. you know, first quarter of the right. year. So, so that's going to affect all these sales well, emails, sales calls. Well, well the, the, the other thing too is, um, 
you know, so, so you, you, you tend to have got, you know, you've cleaned your pipeline as much as you can in December. So you start opening things back up in January and February. So, and March becomes the, the closing quarter. And so, and so one question too, and, and Lord knows in the world of SaaS, which is very heavily represented here, the last two weeks of every quarter are, you know, heck, I think some companies probably close 50% of their business in the last two weeks of every quarter. Um, yep. and, and so the first two weeks of this are, are coming up into what I would expect would be relatively speaking higher, um, higher average deal close, deals being closed. So, so again, the fact that we're comparing it to an unrelated period of time causes me to go, okay, what does that mean? Now, from here out, we now basically have a relative number, <clears throat> right? So, so if, um, you know, so, so here, you know, coming the first week out, they were what, eight, you know, deal rate was down 18, 19, 18, 19%. Um, yeah, down, so down 15%. So um, yeah, it was bad. <laughs> I mean, it was bad. One, <laughs> you think? One, two, yeah. three, four, five, six, seven. It's 15%. Yeah, we're down 15%. Then we have a down 12%. Like the, the, the thing that, and people started saying, hey, here's signs of recovery coming from, from here to here except that that's not really a sign of recovery because it, it's just a de it's a decrease in the rate of decrease. Yep. We didn't have not, not a single one of these weeks came close to being up. Like if this had been up 2%, that would have been a sign of a recovery because it would show that there was at least a little bit of, we were catching up. We were down 7%. The only thing you can really say about that is we were, down less than we had been down before, but we have still fallen further behind. Right. So, so from a percentage basis, not as bad, but you're still further behind. So yes, yeah, so that's pretty bad. That's deal creation. Now here's what I find that's interesting. Let's break it out by um, company size. Right. And, and what we're seeing here is, um, in this recovery period, the the mid well the mid market so the twenty six to two hundred the mid the mid level. See, I, so one thing that I would really like to know from HubSpot is how many companies are represented in each segment. Yes, because the problem that we have here is that your zero to twenty fives, a how many deals is that, and. And what's the dollar value? I don't expect that they're going to share the dollar value, but it would be safe to say that the average deal size for zero to 25 is going to be less than deal size for over 201. So, so when I look at this, I go, you know, th this is, this is, this is interesting data. And, and so if you look at the larger company, well, actually look at the large, the, the largest segment didn't have, you know, was always better than every other segment. So, so some of what we're seeing here is being pulled down. You know, we're, we're, we're treating a deal the as large, a deal. Right, right. Yep. Right. right yep. So, so, I, I so that, that. that, that, that's where that gets a little that's, bit. That's know, interesting. Yep. Right. Um, the, but, but here, you know, like th this is fast. I do find this fascinating. Closed deals drop 27%. So we're 27% below 
pre-March 17th and we're coming into May 18th. That, that's a, um, you know, a small decrease here to, to a large decrease. What, 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 will be, what will be interesting is to see what does next week look like. Um, you know, if, if it had continued to trend negative, you know, moving to less and less, you, you, you could feel that way. Um, I, I think that at best what this says is that we're still in a very volatile stage. And at worst, what we say is that, yeah, the worst isn't yet to come. That, but, but that also goes to your point of, um, see, I just made that argument because that's kind of what I believe. Um, so that, so, that, so that's, that, that's the place to be careful about. I, I, I would say what, where, where it does help is, um, you, know, where's your, you know, where's your deal volume? Like I know for, for us, our deal volume, our, our client deal volume is down a little bit, nowhere near these numbers. And our closed numbers are down a little bit, they are down a little bit more than, than, than deal volume is. Um, one of the reasons why we're impacted far, far less is that we have a much higher quality metric. Um, so, so there's less random stuff in pipelines or out of pipelines. So those are some, um, you know, that, that's an aspect of, of being able to look at your core, but it, you know, that is a, you know, that, that, that's how I would look at this. Would you agree with that, Michael? Yeah. Again, just to me, it's interesting to look at, you know, the potential trends that are going on, but so that now let's look at sales emails and I'm going to go sales emails and marketing emails. That's I mean, the other thing have... that they could add is another variable to the deal pipeline, which would be uh, sales velocity. Like, how, how, you know, what, what is the, from, from point of close or, or from open to close, what is that? What does that look like? That would be an interesting. Yeah, that, that, uh, that data as well. would that data would be really, really bad. I agree with you. It'd be interesting. Yeah, well, I, I, agree. I agree that, that it would be, that, that, that it would also be bad. So, so the, so the theory here is, is that sales emails are up 49%. Now I know I'm looking at just the last week here, but if, you know, to, you know, take a look at this, this, you know, each week before this week is up meaningfully more than 49%. The first couple of weeks coming out here, not as much as 49%. I think it's safe to say that what this is telling us is roughly there are 50% more sales emails going out post COVID than pre COVID. Yeah. Do you, does that pass your eye test? I, I think so. Are you getting 50% more sales emails? Is your, is your inbox 50%? I'm getting, I, I mean, I'm getting, uh, I am getting a hell of a lot more. Okay. I got it. Uh, you know what? I got it. Kudos to SaneBox. Kudos to all the other tools that I use. Cause I haven't, cause some of what I thought here is, you know, obviously the theory is salespeople are, I mean, your outside salespeople have become inside salespeople. Everyone's at their computer. Well, the, um, correct. You know, so, so some of my theory, but you know, your, your eye test, is, is um, says that maybe I'm I, wrong I don't here. know that it's I don't know that it's fifty percent. But again, it's industry specific. I, I can say that I've I've noticed a significant uptick, I, especially when I look at my spam folder. I, I'm getting a lot, hundreds of emails a day. I, I think that um, like what one of my theories here is that I think that that email compliance is up, and what I mean by that is that is that people that are salespeople that are supposed to be using HubSpot CRM are sending more emails from HubSpot CRM. Whereas before they may have just, you know, they might, they, you know, just because it's easier because they're at their desk more often, et cetera. I don't know. That was my, that, that was my thought. Um, so 
Now, and and they're they're tired of getting their their boss on them, and so it's like, hey, look what I did today. I sent fifty emails. Yeah, and you know, and and you know, when you, when you're worried and scared, and no one wants to talk to you, what do you do? You send an email. Um, right. So, this says that emails are up fifty percent, and response rates are. No, it doesn't define what a response rate is. I believe it's open rate, but I'm not certain. Um, is down twenty eight percent. Um, but it, here, here's another interesting, again, f potential factor that's going into the significant increase in emails sent is that if I am a inside BDR or whatever, and I'm calling offices all day and people aren't at their office desks, the, the only potential option I have is, is email. I don't know. Again, it's well. Are, are you able? Are you able to to delineate the emails that go out with, that you get data on of what is a marketing email versus what is a sales email? If we it, it, to a certain degree, you have no, to. Now, we don't. We don't. We don't look at. We don't look at the the, the HubSpot uh, sales does not have uh, an API. So we don't look at that data. We look at the data from Gmail. Right. So when I send my email from Gmail, that, that would come in and you would know that that's not an email that's coming from my HubSpot. That, that's not a HubSpot marketing email, right? Right. right. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Right. So are, are you seeing those? So it's like if you were to operate on the assumption that your Gmail data is sales emails and your, your, you know, your workflows data are marketing emails. Oh, 100%. Yeah. That's, are, yeah, absolutely. Are your numbers showing that? Our, our numbers showing what? The, the, the volume of, of the Gmail emails that, that you see are going up by 50% and the, the, you know, any type of open click, you know, any type of response rate is down a third. We're up a half, down a third. Uh, I would say our, like, because we don't, uh, we don't, a majority of our data is going to be marketing data. And we okay. don't, we, I wouldn't have a way of really giving okay. Um, I, I, I would hate to just give an incorrect answer to this. They, this data is going to be a lot better. Than now, now this doesn't, I mean, so for us, the clients that we're working with, we are not seeing, so first off, email's not up. It's pretty consistent for us because we didn't change anything. Um, and our response rates are still, you know, pretty solid because we work on sending quality emails. Um, I think we talked a couple <laughs> sessions. I mean, no, seriously. I, I, would, I would hope so, right. No, I, I would hope so. You know, I, I mean, what, what I... Um, let's, let, let's take a look. Let's look at company size. Is there any, well, I, I mean, I guess on one hand, it's not surprising because if I had a guess, I would guess that the dominant market space for HubSpot is, is the 26 to 200 employee. 200. Um, but you know, it, again, you said that, that, you know, the danger here is, is, is be careful of, of averages. So here's where I, this is where I, I begin to go things that make you go home. First off, I don't understand why they're using open rate as the, as the metric here, but whatever. So the theory is sales emails are up 50% and, and response rates are down a third, but marketing emails are up 30% and open rates are up 
it's a wonderful story. One, there's, there's, there's probably a well. No, there's, there's just one. There's a lot more. To me, using open rate as the as the metric here is is actually again. It's just a metric. Actually, no. I I, I do like from what I from I do believe that I mean the the amount of marketing emails going out is significantly higher. Yeah, to to the point like everybody that stopped doing an email newsletter started doing one daily. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, so here's the thing that's interesting. I've opted out of more emails in the last two weeks than I did the last two years. Yep. Um, by the way, those all count as opens. So yeah. I, I would be curious for you to look at in, in the last 13 weeks, the rate of increase over the previous 13 weeks, how much have open rates increased relative to click rates? And, and, and here's why I say this. So, so the story that everyone is telling, first off, is sales bad, marketing good, right? Right. And this is this this is one of those things where it's it, it, looking at the trend of this can be ultra dangerous. Well, this, well, this specifically can be ultra dangerous because if I'm an executive, I'm going to look at this not having any idea about marketing email and go, well, look at that, like. Everybody's sending more email and they're getting way better engagement, way better responses. Well, and let's just send a ton more email. And you know what? Actually, some of the customers that I've been talking to more recently, some of our larger customers are now in, they, they've got, they've dug themselves into some pretty deep holes with inboxing and deliverability cool. and we can actually look at their Google Postmasters and see that their, uh, their domain reputation has fallen significantly. And it's all because their executives are looking at data like this and being like, let's just send more marketing emails. It's free. It doesn't cost us anything. It's, there's no consequences if we do it. Well, and, 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 and the story that's out there, and I've even heard there's three people that I know that have even written this or said this on a video. Well, the problem is, is that nobody wants to get a season to, nobody wants to get a sales email sales, email. You know, and, and marketing is looking for ways to create value. Well, you know what? That's, that's fucking <laughs> that's, bullshit. That is there are, total bullshit. There are, there are lots of salespeople who send out shitty emails and there are lots of marketers who send out shitty emails. And there are lots of salespeople who send out quality value, creative emails. And there are lots of marketers who do that. Here's what I think the danger of this is. Um, and this is why I hate using open rate right? Because this, I worry um, big time now, bigly, as they say, I guess that's the, that's the right term these days, bigly. Um, so the theory again is, well, people are all at their desk. So, you know, they're, they're spending less time at the water cooler. So they're spending more time with emails. Well, they are definitely at their desk more. There's no question about that. By the way, that's a fascinating thing, like your response times on emails. I, I'd like to see a report on that because I bet you that those have like that. We've gone from eight hours to two minutes for average response time on, on emails. Um, you know, you know, you know, the old time you, you send an email at three o'clock and you're like, yeah, I'll send it at three o'clock because that way I got it out today. But, you know, they won't get to it until tomorrow. Now it's like you send it at three o'clock and 315. You've got a response. Like, Shit, I still got to do the work today. I would never do that. Um, no. Well, yeah, I'm at my desk more. I am more likely to open your email because it's there and I've got the time to do it. But what this doesn't tell me at all 
is what do I do if anything after I open it? Because I would make the argument, if you open the email and get no action, Mark, if you open an email in a forest where it gets no action, did you really open an email? Actually, here's an, a really interesting philosophical argument. Is it better, all things being equal, because I'm going to say sometimes you do send emails where clicks aren't what you want. You're, you're sending it for a different reason. But, but then you don't know if they read it or not, so you don't really have a signal. Is it better to have an open with no action or better to have no open? I'm going to take the, it's better to have no open than open and no action. Because mm. if I look at your email and say, there's nothing here, then that's a negative, that's a negative point. I looked at you and there's nothing. Whereas if I just didn't see it, there's it's not negative. Or yeah, I mean, there, there, there is part of that, but there's, you know, again, this is why, again, data, data is hard. Um, you know, there's also the concept of like inbox impressions of, should I sell Doug's email? I haven't responded to him in a while, but I didn't open it. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to call him. Um, well, how, again, how many times have you talked to people that it's like, I don't, I, it, it, there, well, there can be some of that brain triggering going on to say, oh yeah, I forgot that so, I wanted to hold, get that item at Home Depot. Hold and I got on. this email from Home Depot and I didn't open the email. Hold on. Hold on. You, what you just said might, might be the point for that we can't track my statement. But if you see my email and you don't click on anything because you think, you know what? I've been meaning to talk to Doug, so you call me. Remember, I didn't say email and a click. I said email and an you action. You say attribution, right? Email and an, and an action. action. You took an action. If the if the right if the email had an action, it would be interesting to find out how many emails have gone out that had some type of action or CTA in it, and what was the. Well, the, I, I would say if you're sending a marketing email and there's nothing to click on, why'd you send a marketing email? <laughs> well, I mean, it doesn't. By the way, it doesn't have to be a CTA. It could just yeah. be a hyper. Right. So, so here again, my question is, this just says, did you open it? It doesn't have anything to do with, did you actually engage it? So I'd be like, I don't, I, I honestly don't understand why they're not using click rate because click rate to me is, is, and I'm not saying you want to click all the time. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying if I could only choose one. Oh, if we're looking at the one metric to look at, I 100% agree. It would be click rate that I would look at. That would be much more interesting to look at. And I, I do, I almost wonder, um, I think you probably would see this in a negative trend um, than, than a positive. So this is really interesting. This is, so if you look at volume, the volume in almost every week is driven more by, you know, small middle large small right and then the open rate look at that the the lower the increase the higher the the increase in open rate mm -hmm. isn't that interesting um i missed this i wanted to see i um, did not see that that is interesting Yeah, see, this is where, like, if you look at this, your, your close rate numbers are far less for your small than they are for your big. And because we're working it on deal counts and not deal value, we're, we're actually hiding a lot, of the, a, lot, a lot of the negative impact. I'm back, I'm back on, um, on deal volume. 
All yeah. right, website traffic. I find this really, really interesting. We're 22%. Uh, I mean, we're, I mean, pretty meaningfully, pretty consistently, um, 20%. Plus you know, this is it. it so hold on. Let's go, let's go back. I mean, so you just brought up a really interesting point that from an email sends perspective, the quantity has gone up quite significantly on sends. However, the open rate has not gone up as much. And so part of me wonders if it's exactly what I talked about, like the quality, the quantity has gone up, but the quality has gone down because these small businesses are just not focusing on yeah. quality versus, uh, but, versus quantity. But so you, for, I think you could infer some of that for, for what you're for what you're seeing here, though, even on the small company side that has the higher volume, you're still seeing increases in, it's not an increase in opens that you could attribute to just you're sending more emails. You, it is an increase in open rate. So your percentage of emails being open. No, 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 no. Is I, I, I get, no, no, I, I get, I get that, that it's, that it's right. Your open rate is higher. Um, right. And, and for those of you wanting you to know what actually have uh, more of those inbox impressions that are going on where people are just opening your email to delete it. So, so for those of you that were, are wondering what we're what we were talking about, cause we covered that very quickly. If you look at this, as we begin to break it down by company size, you see that the largest company's uh, cohort is typically lower in the percentage of increase. So they are sending, so yes, they are sending more emails, but they're not sending as many more. Actually, it's interesting in the, well, that's just happenstance. In the first week, um, they were higher, but every other week post-COVID, they've been the lowest of the increases. But then when we look at open rate performance, the large, so that smaller group has stayed higher. And, and actually, this, get, this actually gets to your point. If you look at these later stages here, the gap, between them is getting bigger, Yeah. right? The gap in engagement, if we're gonna use open rate as engagement, and the gap in the difference between sends is also getting much, much bigger. So the small and middle cohort are sending more and more. Almost and, like three, three X more in these right. latest, you know, few weeks. So, so, the, so, right. And so that breaks into how, you know, that goes back to, to, to your point initially, that when you look at this, that I always remember when someone talks about averages, if I have one foot in boiling hot water and one foot in ice cold water, on average, I'm fine, but I'm in a lot of pain. Um, you know, it, it's, it's really easy to look at this data and, 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 and to craft a story. Um, now, the reason that I think this is valuable, I, I honestly don't know what this tells me, contact growth, I really don't know. Um, I think it's, like why, why would there be an 86% increase in content? You know what it was? I, here's what it was. Everyone was busy and then we had to work from home. So I had a lot of time on my hands. So I imported a lot of contact. Imported all my contacts. I, mean, I, don't, into, I, don't, I really don't know what this means. <laughs> Sorry. And, or, I, and, and no, and I've, I, I've actually talked to a few B2B organizations that have bought lists. Yeah. Wow. Look at that you know, this is all driven in the first couple of weeks. That That's what it is. Big companies went on and bought a bunch of lists. And, you know, it would be a super interesting, again, if, if anybody from HubSpot's listening on the marketing emails side, 
this would actually be a really super interesting metric unsubscribes and bounces hard bounces yeah because i'm your i'm doug's manager wouldn't you're uh, wouldn't i've wanted i've wanted to fire doug for a long time but this gives me an opportunity to fire doug which i still want to fire doug haven't been able to fire him yet um, well, hold on a second. You you serve as a reference sometimes. So if somebody watches this podcast, now they're going to be confused. Right. I'm, I'm, so I wanted to fire Doug. Not imagine, I finally just get a me. Chance, right, just Doug. No, I finally get to, no, 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 not, not imagine. I get to fire Doug. I transfer any, I forward any emails coming from Doug to my inbox. And then every time I'm getting marketing newsletters, I'm just going and unsubscribing from them all. So, so I think the... Uh, and the bounce rates would also be a interest, a super interesting indicator. So I don't think so. I think the first thing is true. I would really be interested on the on, on the unsubscribe. The reason that the bounce rate wouldn't is because of the HubSpot system um, depresses your bounce rate because when you bounce, it doesn't send it again. So no, I know, but it, it, I, I'm saying I would like to look at how many people are bouncing week over week for their first time. Oh, that would be like, what's your first? You would, what's your you first would, oh, oh, you okay. Would, yeah, yeah, yeah. You would see, you would see actually impact on. That would be very. Con, that would be, you would see huge impact on contact growth or contact depression. You know what a really interesting. Week over thing? week over week. And you could also look at industry, like how many people are potentially losing their job. Like you, you would see huge, you would see hugely interesting data. We could, we just created a new email metric. Um, data the first email action. So I send you an email, you do nothing with it. Sometimes like the sixth email, you finally take action, right? Some people, like I know you've shown me in your, like there's a percentage of my database that has never acted on an email, right? It, it, it's a fascinating thing, but like what's the email degradation to first contact? Cause that's kind of an interesting, like if you think about it, the first time I send you an email, the, the goal of that email is to generate some form of action. We, we don't have time to break it in any further. Think about that. Because I, yeah. I, I agree with what you're saying. Email quality, that first email, I, that, that, has a, that, that is a powerful number. This is the sales calls data. And I think this comes down, I mean, like, uh, this is confusing to me. Our, our, I mean, if, if this data is true, sales emails are up 50%. Sales calls are down 15%. Then, then maybe we do need to have cameras watching our work from home employees to make sure that they're doing their job. Because this says, in essence, that salespeople are sending emails and they're not talking to anybody. Doesn't it? Am I misreading it? Yeah. Well, you can also see by industry, huge depression. The biggest number is in human resources. Human resources even further down than travel. Yeah, but what does that mean? Well, again, the other, the, well, uh, the problem is one in four Americans has lost, well, I shouldn't just say Americans because this is uh, across the world, but there's a lot of people that have been unemployed by this. So this is also going to throw into, this is going to throw these metrics like. Where, so, so by, by the way, I, di I didn't want to get into industry because I didn't want to, I didn't want to make this about a right, where's, yeah. profe where, where's professional services? Where's hardware in here? It's not in here. 
right? I mean, it's got to be in here. Right now, I, I guess these are these are industries that are that, that are big enough that, I mean, so so I kind of used human resources as a services. Um, ooh, human resources is really ugly. Yeah. You know that's fascinating. That's actually a that that metric right there is fascinating. I don't even know what we're on. I think we're on deals. No, we're on sales calls. Uh, that that computer software. Um, let, let's look at. I want to look at something here real quick. Sorry. Are we seeing the same thing here? Okay, so travel is the worst for, for, you know what's fascinating? Computer software business hasn't been hit that hard. No, it, 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 it hasn't. That's interesting. You know why? Because the negatives have Probably the negatives have, have been outweighed by some of the companies that are popping. Um, here's, here's an interesting piece of news. Where, does anyone have the breaking news um, sound here? If we could have that superimposed or something, that would be, would be really good. What this says too is that, um, and it actually makes a lot of sense, which is why you need to have a null hypothesis to prove this isn't really the thing. The, Consumer industries have been hit. B2C has been hit. B2B has not been hit. Right, which makes sense. Restaurants, down. Theaters, done. Right, all, all that, boom, this day, nothing. We've talked about this before. The, the real impact of a recession is the, you know, come seven to 15 months after the official recession, it's the downstream effect. That's when it, right. Cause you know, B to, you know, at the end of the day, everything's B to C cause we're a consumer based economy. If a customer, you know, if, if, a, if a cons everything's designed so that at the end, a consumer does something right. For the most like 90, yep. right. And so all the B, so the B to B world is at the top of the pyramid. Right. And the, so the first people that get hit are, you know, who's selling direct to the people, to the people, to the people this actually, this says to me, Especially when you take on the fact that 40 million people, I mean, people are like it, we're, it's, it's getting better now. We just had two, we just announced 2.1 million. If, if the last 13 weeks didn't exist, if this had been week one and we said two point, as a matter of fact, I think week one was 1.5, if I remember correctly, 2.1 million people unemployed. We would be like, that is devastating news. That is by far the worst ever. The only reason that we're not like, crying over it is because the last 13 weeks have, have been worse. Um, look I'm at assuming deals create again, we can, this is where it can be just fun. If you, if you go in here, look, look at deals created versus uh, deals closed and look at the construction industry, which actually is not surprising. The construction industry never shut down, but now you're seeing more deals created, but you're also seeing the deals closed start to, for the first time, uh, really depress. Yeah, and this also really gets into what you know what what is construction, but yeah, I I, I agree with you. That's and and that's again why you can look at this data and try to make some uh, inferences. But it, 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 so 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 here I mean here's the thing that's bad. Like like the thing that that, that to me the the saddest story of this whole thing is that every week since since COVID has been down. 
um, that that is depressionary, right? Because typically you'll have a week that's an outlier. You know, a week will pop up that's 10% up because we were down 20, 20, 25, 20, boom, up 10. Well, that's still like way, way, way down, right? So the fact that every week yep. has, has been bad, that, that again says to me that, that we're just seeing the downstream impact. Uh, I'm assuming that this is referring to chats. Um, here again, it's, you know, it's really hard to get any kind of read because you don't know what the next action is. Um, and then, man, look at ad spend. Yeah, that's pretty wild. So, fairly fast. Human resources ad spend has gone up, even though in every other category they have. Yep. Alrighty, Mike, we've got our producers telling us that we're, we're over time. She's, she's, she's sounding the alarms. She's saying nobody wants to listen to you guys for this long. Yeah, no, this, this was fun. Um, what are your parting thoughts? Uh, again, use it, it, from my perspective, use data to, you know, potentially in certain instances, let the data inform you of trends, but buyer beware. Yeah, and, and, and I say, you know, I think it's, I mean, first off, kudos, thanks, thanks HubSpot for, for yeah, providing. Yeah, no, absolutely, 100%, this is, um, this it, is, this is cool. I, I think the place where this is the most valuable, I would love to see more conversations around it. I think, I think it's a good thing maybe to have your senior team, let, you know, get in there, talk about it. What are you seeing? What are you seeing different? What are you seeing the same? I think it's a great way to frame the conversation. I agree with you. I would say be very, very careful how much you're, you know, how much you're looking at the data to say, well, this is what it's, this is what it's doing. Yeah. All righty. Well, that'll wrap it up for today. Um, a nice little random down, ra random walk down data street. Um, be sure to join us on our, actually, I think our next episode, we got a special guest, if I remember correctly. We do. We are going to be talking about. Should be an exciting one. We're going to be talking about tech. Um, so be sure to join us on our next episode. Until next time, go out there and, uh, and get some growth.